our short series uh, that's been sort of a topical series uh, dealing with what is the church. And of course, we've been talking about the local church family. Uh, you can say all kinds of things about the church universal. You can talk about the church in glory. You can talk about the church in the future and the marriage supper of the Lamb and everybody together. You can talk about the church through the ages. You could just spend all year talking about what the Bible says about the church. But we've been focusing on attributes and characteristics that should be true of healthy local congregations. And in the course of our study, we've looked at the fact that the church is, first of all, a family. The church is a family. We are bonded together by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are blood relatives because we belong together. We have been brought into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. God is our Father and uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is our elder brother and the forerunner of faith for us. And He is the one who has risen from the grave and empowered us to new life. And so we're a family. And uh, we're a family that has specific attributes, or at least we ought to have. And that's what we've been looking at. Uh, first of all, a family that cares for one another. Very practical, very uh, pointed ways, caring for one another. A family that forgives one another because we all mess up from time to time and we step on one another's toes and, and we don't necessarily mean to or maybe sometimes we get order and we do mean to but then we need to back up and forgive each other and keep moving forward in love it's a family that values one another and we distinguish that from caring in the intrinsic worth and value of every single person and we're a family that prays for one another. You know, we've, got to, we've got to hold one another up uh, and lift one another before the Lord. That is the secret of power in the church. You know, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that you can bear fruit. And the fruit comes out of the prayer life of the church. You know, we're, we're just natural people. And the only thing we can do is natural things. But we have a supernatural God. And if we want to see supernatural things occur, powerful things, life-transforming things, then those things have to be accomplished, first of all, in prayer. And then finally this morning, uh, the church is a family that welcomes strangers. And uh, a stranger is a, is a word that probably has more negative than positive connotation in daily use. But I, I want to flip that around this morning because stranger is a biblical word. Um, it's, it's a word that... Um, oops, I lost my place here. I'm guessing it'll come up any time now. Uh, stranger is a word that the Scripture uses uh, to talk about people that are out of place. Someone graciously corrected me this morning. I was using out of pocket all through my message. And, and I was informed it's, it, out of pocket does not mean out of place. Out of pocket means something else. It's out of place. So I'm, I'm going to fix that. And I promised I would fix it for the tape. But a s stranger is anyone who's out of place. They're not in their normal environment. They're not among their 
usual people. They're, they're, they're in a different situation. And if you go back to the Old Testament even, God talks about love of strangers being something that should be a part of the heartbeat of Israel. Um, sometimes the best laid plans of mice and men. You know, I had this thing figured out and it just uh, it went away. But I will get there. That's the trouble with electronic Bibles. If the electronics fail, the Bible fails. And the Word of God never fails, right? <laughs> but when it's electronically encoded, there, there can be some trouble. Okay, now I got it. Leviticus uh, chapter 19. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. When a stranger resides in your land, you shall do him no wrong. The stranger who resides with you, listen to what he says, with you shall be to you as the native among you. The stranger shall be as one of you. And you shall love him as yourself. Shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And what God is saying to Israel is, look, you spent 400 years with the Egyptians. And uh, they did not treat you very well toward the end. They made you slaves. They, they did not treat you well. You lived in Goshen from the very beginning, but then you became odious to them. And, and they just used you for slave labor. And, and you never felt at home. And you knew you were out of place. And you knew that you didn't belong there. And... You should know how it feels to be a stranger in a land that isn't yours. And so when the strangers come among you, you should love them like yourself. You should welcome them as one of you because God is your God and He loves the strangers. What, what a powerful statement of Scripture. You know, the Jewish people have gotten that so confused. And so misunderstood. Um, I have a friend that lives in a Jewish neighborhood, and, and he's not Jewish. And, you know, he's goyim. Uh, he is uh, unclean. And uh, they're, they're very careful around him because his whole house is unclean, and his yard is unclean, and he's unclean. And it's, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting where she's learned to, they have a respect for one another, but there's this attitude, and I don't know how that developed with what God is saying here. Because God is saying you need to welcome the stranger uh, into your midst because uh, I am your God and you know what it's like to be strangers. But by the same token, the scripture says that we who are in the church are strangers and aliens in a foreign land. We are members of the household of faith. We belong to the family of God. We are members of a heavenly kingdom. Our citizenship is there, not here. We are strangers and aliens on the earth. And Jesus said, if you're going to be my follower, and I'm not talking about a nominal Christian here, you know, that just kind of punches the church ticket, but I'm talking about somebody that is totally devoted to following Jesus Christ and embracing His values and His ways and allowing Him to be the Lord of one's life, you're going to run into situations where you just feel like, I don't belong here. I'm out of place. I don't belong in this, on this planet sometimes. I, the world 
doesn't like me. And Jesus said, don't be surprised when that happens. The world is not going to like you. If it hated me, it's going to hate you. If it persecuted me, it's going to persecute you. In this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But we belong to Him. And as a consequence of that, we understand what it's like to be out of place. To be a stranger and an alien in a world that is not like us. And don't we see that happening as our culture drifts and becomes more and more decadent? Don't we feel more and more displaced? More and more unnatural? More strange? Um, you know, every once in a while I'll be having a conversation with my district superintendent. He and I are the same age. And uh, sometimes we, uh, we just kind of talk about the, the drift, not only the drift of the culture, but we talk about the drift that's occurring uh, within the body of Christ and, and, and kind of like the gradual loosening of, of values and, and the decay of, of absolute uh, truths. And, and he says, you know, sometimes I just feel old. And I know what he means by that. Out of touch, out of place. A stranger, uh, even sometimes within the family, because of family values changing. And so there's that sense. So as I began to look at this study and, and to study the different places that the word hospitality occurs in Scripture, I found some very interesting things. Um, first of all, there is a strong biblical basis for being warm gracious and welcoming to newcomers, um, to, to people that we don't know. There's a place, a strong basis for that. Um, there are at least three passages of Scripture that encourage it for all the church. And uh, let me read you from Romans um, chapter 12, verses 9 to 13, which is the main text. It's in the side margin of your study guide. It's also obviously in your Bible. Romans uh, chapter 12, 9 to 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Practicing hospitality. Hebrews chapter 13, 2 says, Do not neglect to practice hospitality, to entertain uh, strangers, because some people have actually entertained angels without knowing it. Wouldn't it be cool to, you know, invite somebody over for dinner and uh, you have a great dinner together and you enjoy a good meal and then you get up and you, it's time to go and you usher them to the door and you, you look around, there's no car and you look back and there's no person. And it's like, what just happened? I think I had an angel for supper, you know. Uh, wouldn't that be neat? I, I think the writer of Hebrews was kind of thinking about Abraham, you know, that time in the wilderness when the strangers showed up and 
he invited them for a lamb dinner, but actually uh, it was uh, Jesus, a, a pre-incarnation appearance of Christ, along with two angels, and that was a pretty neat meeting. Uh, 1 Peter 4.9, again, the same thing, that practicing hospitality is, is expected of all believers. Secondly, it is a recognized as a worthy attribute in qualifying for church benevolence. You know, in the first century, they did not have uh, Social Security. They didn't have um, retirement benefits. They didn't have uh, life insurance. Uh, all of those are new concepts. And so, um, if a woman's husband died, she was at the mercy of her family. Her children had to take care of her. Um, if she was not able to continue to work and make a living for herself, the children had to take care of her. What if she didn't have any children? Well, she was, she was in a tough position because uh, there wasn't, culturally, there wasn't anyone to take care of her. Um, and uh, she didn't have a very bright future. And so, uh, obviously, when, when the love of God began to come into people in evangelism and the growth and birth of the church, it became obvious that, that in loving one another, we had, to, we had to care for people that didn't have anyone to care for them. And as we began to you know, explore that, there came this concept in the New Testament of widows indeed. In, in other words, it was considered to be a person who had no one to, to look out for them and to provide for them, and yet they had things to contribute, they had things to offer, and things to give, and so the church actually uh, kind of took them on and said, we're going to make sure that you're taken care of, we're going to make sure that your needs are met. And so in doing that, it said, how do we figure out who these people are that are worthy of the church really stepping in and, and, uh, and taking care of the support? And one of the things to look for are, are those uh, older women who are hospitable, who are welcoming strangers into the fellowship, who are opening their heart, their home their church who are saying, you're welcome here. Um, I, I love strangers. That, it's interesting that that was one of the criteria because it was a vital ministry within the church. And here was a person that was able to give hospitality. They also didn't have hotels and motels. And you couldn't, you know, take out your AAA card and call ahead and get a discount and find a hotel. You know, you had to uh, go on Expedia or something. You couldn't do that. You had to uh, go to a town and hope that somebody would put you up, usually. I mean, there were inns here and there, but um, typically you were relying on friends, family, or somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody to, to give you a place. But here's someone who says, you can stay with me. You know, I, I'll, I'll host you or be hostess to you while you're here. And that became a criteria for deciding who got put on the list for, for actual care. Interestingly, it is mandated for all church leadership. It is a requirement. If you read the list of elders, list of deacons, what the requirements are for elder and deacon, and you study that, it is required that they be hospitable. That they be the kind of people that are welcoming and, and, and willing to receive strangers. That that's an essential for church leadership. And in looking at these, uh, these multiple verses, 
There are two words for hospitality that are predominantly used in the New Testament. One of them far outstrips the other, but the other occurs in an interesting context. Those two words are phyloxenia and uh, xenodokeo. I want to back up and talk about them a little bit because uh, the way you pronounce the first one in Greek kind of doesn't give you a good insight into its meaning, phyloxenia. But if I say it differently, if I break it into its compound forms, I'll bet you recognize it. Phileo or phylozenia. We have a term today, xenophobia. Xenophobia means uh, a, a hatred of strangers, a fear of strangers, a distrust of strangers. But when you take the same word, xenia, which is the stranger part, and you put philo with it, that's one of the words for love. It's the, the friendly, gracious, brotherly kind of love. The good fellowship. The, man, I like you. I enjoy being around you. You're a good friend to me. Uh, so now it becomes a lover of strangers. Someone who enjoys strangers. That's why I like the word stranger in this, in this message, okay? Because when we start to get into it and understand it, it becomes a very valuable word. Newcomers, guests, whatever you want to say, people that are out of place. They're looking, they're searching, they're, they're trying to find a home. Maybe they're visiting in the community, maybe they just moved to the community, maybe they're from another country, whatever. The family of God should be a family that loves strangers. Wow! Come to my place. Hispanic culture has the saying, Mi casa su casa. My house is your house. I am welcoming you into my space. What is your home? Isn't it your space? Isn't Isn't that your castle? Isn't that where you... You go to kind of get away from the world and to, to, to be with family and to be in your environment. It's just the way you want it and you like it. And it's got, it's got all those attributes that say, this is my home. And then you say to someone, I want you to come into my space. I want to have you here. I want to welcome you into my space. I want you to be in my life. Uh, that's... Phyloxenia. I love strangers. The other word is used regarding those widows indeed. And it's a very interesting word. Xenodokeo. It's a compound again. Stranger. But dokeo means to receive. To take up. To accept. It means I'm going to take this stranger and bring them in. I'm going to be the the one that pulls them into the environment and makes them feel at home. It may mean I take them to my home. It may mean that I prepare a meal for them. It may, whatever. But I'm going to make them feel like they belong in the midst of us. This is so important for the church. You know how it feels to be in a different place? To be out of place and in a different place. To be in a different culture. To be in a different part of the country. To move to a different town. Maybe you got a job transfer. It's like, oh man, i got to start all over. You know, you're, you've moved, some of you. Many of you. You know how that feels. i got to find a new grocery. i got to find a new doctor. i got to find a new pharmacy. i got to find a new uh, 
place to, to shop for clothes. I gotta, I've, got, I've gotta make new acquaintances with people in the community. I gotta move my banking and all of a everything's different. Everything is new. And you, you, you feel like you get homesick sometimes. I, I, I'm out of place here. <laughs> and, and I remember what I was, I had become comfortable where I was. Now I'm, now I'm not comfortable. And then if you're a follower of Christ, you've got to find a church home. Because you need to be in a fellowship. You have to find a church home. You can't just be a Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger Christians dry up. You've got to be involved in a fellowship. Where am I going to go? Now you start looking around and say, oh man, there's so many churches. My brand is not even in this town. You know, and I've got to find, I've got to find something different. And everything's different because every church, every town, every place has its culture. You know, the simplest definition of culture is, this is how we do things. Every group does things different. Your family has a culture. This church has a culture. McHenry has a culture. It's different from Crystal Lake. Maybe not a lot, but it is. It, it's certainly different from Paducah, Kentucky. And if you visit a Christian and Missionary Alliance church in western Pennsylvania, and then you go to Los Angeles and visit one, let me tell you something. You won't even think you're in the same denomination. The doctrine may be the same underlying, but I guarantee you the covering is going to be way different. It's just, it's just the way it is. And... Everything's out out of place. And so the church needs to be a proactive, loving family environment that says, I love strangers. I'm going to ease your transition. I, I want to make you feel at home. How can I reach out to you? It's not just it's not just the white Anglo Saxon Americans. It doesn't matter what color. It doesn't matter what nationality. It doesn't matter what language. None of that is important. At, at, at the bottom line level, none of that is significant. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it doesn't even matter if they're a follower of Christ. It doesn't even matter if they're an in-your-face, I'm not a Christian. It doesn't matter. We were having a conversation on the way home and Rowena was telling me about an article that she read about a woman who had been a, a leader in, in bringing the LGBT movement to, to prominence. You know what I'm talking about? Lay, uh, lesbian, gay, um, bisexual, transgender. And she had been a, a, a leader in, in the LGBT movement and, and a lesbian, avowed uh, lesbian, and we're reading her story because she's become a follower of Christ. And you say, how did that happen? Well, she met another woman who loved the Lord and was not afraid of her, but who loved her as someone from a different culture, as a stranger, loved her as a stranger. 
you know, at first it's like, what's this person up to? But then after a while, this lady realized this other woman accepts me. She's not judging me. She's not condemning me. I know she doesn't agree with me, but she accepts me. And then she began to realize that she could talk to this other person and they respected her confidence and and they valued her. And then she realized, oh, I can ask questions and I'm not going to get put down. I can probe, I can make inquiry, and there's just going to be an openness, an honesty. And it's a safe environment. I can I can talk to this other woman, and, and she'll talk to me about my questions. And then she realized, I can talk about my fears. When you can talk about your fear with another person, you're, you're really beginning to feel accepted. Because you're becoming vulnerable. I can talk about what I'm afraid of. And she said, as I began to talk about my fears and explore my questions very gently, very lovingly, this Christian woman began to share her faith in Christ. Tim Westergren, I guess, puts it the best of anyone I've ever heard, one of our missionaries in Spain, who has coined the phrase, building bridges of trust that can bear the weight of truth. And many times, that's the requirement. We have to build a bridge of trust with another person that can bear the weight of truth. And the bridge had been built, and now it was time to lay on the truth. And this strong, outspoken lesbian leader became a follower of Jesus Christ and a transformed person and was writing her story in in a Christian magazine about how God had changed her life. How does that happen? It doesn't happen if it's like, I'm not getting near you. You're just way out there. A love of strangers, a love of the other cultures, a love of the other people. You know, one of the things that I have realized in, in intercultural experiences and talking with people from other cultures and languages, when you start talking about colloquialisms and phrases that we have, you know, we all have those. And, and, and we have our proverbs, like a stitch in time saves nine, you know, those kind of things. It's interesting that when you start talking with other cultures, they have similar Phrases, similar proverbs, similar similar colloquialisms in their own language that mean the same thing. Because I don't care where you are in the world, the same collective, common human wisdom begins to develop. And people, whether you say it a different way or not, a stitch in time saves nine means address the problem before it becomes a catastrophe. Every culture knows what that means. And they have some kind of saying for it. There's a proverb that you can remember. And it begins to reveal to you that the human heart is the same. You know, encountering and and having conversation with East versus West, there's a way different way of looking at the world. Let me tell you, it's not just because they're on the other side of the world. There's a way different way of looking at the world. But when you begin to get down to the bottom line, 
The human heart is the same because God has made of one blood all the nations. We're all the same in our heart. You know what strikes me every time I see some kind of a newscast and I see where there's been a bombing or something and there's uh, mayhem and, and, and trauma and bloody body parts and uh, stuff all over the place. And you see the hospital scenes. You know what's interesting? I don't care where you are in the world. What do you find people doing? Weeping, brokenhearted, crying over loss of loved ones, sobbing their hearts out, wailing in grief. It's the same all over the world because people love their children, they love their families. It hurts. We're not different at heart. We do things differently, we speak differently. We look differently, but we don't differ in the core of our being. That's why the gospel is good for everybody. Every human being has the same root problem. And God has the same answer. And all of us have the same need. We're all sinners. We need grace. We need salvation. But we're also all made in the image of God. There's no such thing as a person that's a real alien. We're all to use a phrase I heard yesterday, we're earthlings, we're earth dwellers. You know, that's, we're all earth dwellers. We all have the same heart. So how do, we, how do we reach out to that person that's in a different environment, that feels out of pocket and out of place and say, I love you, I value you, I want you in my family. At least I want you to have the choice. I want you to know you're welcome. My house is your house. Mi iglesia es su iglesia. My church is your church. I want you here. Because that's the way God desires us to be. So why do we have trouble with this? Well, that clock on the back is way wrong. Um, we have trouble because we're afraid. Sometimes people have trouble being hospitable because they're afraid. They're, we're afraid that we're going to be offensive or intrusive in another person's life. You know, it, you go up to someone and say, Hi, I'm Paul. What's your name? Well, I don't want to tell you my name. <laughs> you know, what do you, I'm going to ask your name. I'm going to say, Well, where are you from? Was your family with you today? Well, and it's like, is that too many questions? Am I just getting into this person's life? Do they want to just kind of, you know, check in, check out? Uh, what's, I, I, don't, I don't know how that's going to be accepted. I don't think you're going to err seriously by being friendly. I really don't. You may turn some people off. You know what? I, I don't know what the statistics actually are, but let's just say 75% of the people appreciate the interest. And 25% of the people, it's like, why are you bothering me? I don't want to be talked to. All right, let the 25% go. Go for the 75%. Most people want to be known. Most people want to, want to be at least say, I'm glad you're here. I love you. I, well, don't tell them that right away. I mean, that could, that could be a little scary. But uh, it's like, a, I don't know how this church means that, but... But uh, I was uh, I was visiting on I think it was on a uh, Christmas service at uh, at Willow Creek, and I remember Bill Hybels saying, 
I want you to turn around and, and tell somebody else that, that you, you know, you really appreciate him. He says, be a little careful about the love word and don't get huggy. So there, may, there may be some people that don't know how to take that. And I thought, nah, that's pretty sound wisdom. Okay, but the idea is, I want to know you. And, and you can shut me down if you want to, but I, but I want to take the initiative. Don't be afraid of being offensive or intrusive. Take the risk. There's a fear that we might welcome a regular attender. That happened to my wife a few months ago. She's usually downstairs um, with kiddos, you know, and she came to one of the services that she's not usually in, like she's not usually in, she's not here this morning. And someone uh, greeted her and wanted to get to know her. And uh, she said, well, I'm the pastor's wife. <laughs> That's great, you know. I'm glad whoever did that did that. I, I'm just thrilled. Um, it was a little awkward, but it's something to laugh at. You know, it's like, well, I didn't know who the pastor's wife was. Well, because she's downstairs with the kids. So she's not here. How are you going to know if you're not down there with the kids? I mean, you're not. So, so what? All it is is an opportunity to laugh. And you know what? If somebody's been coming for six months and you don't know who they are, this is not a great big church. If you don't know who they are after six months, well, it's time you had a laugh over it or cry or something. But, but start getting one another's name. I'm terrible with names. I'm just horrible with names. Okay? So tell me your name. Again. And again. And again. And eventually I'll get your name. I'm not talking to our guests this morning. I'm talking to you people out there. <laughs> Remind me who you are, okay? Because I might forget, you know. Reminds me of an Alzheimer's joke, but it's probably not appropriate, so leave that out. And I have great sensitivity in that area, sensitivity in that area by the way. Uh, my dear mother-in-law just went to the presence of the Lord after battling that one for quite a few years. We have a new concern in our culture that's sad. We live in a time of terrorism. And one of the greatest tragedies that happened recently is an African-American congregation that invited a young white man into their midst in a Bible study and welcomed him with open arms. And he ended up killing a number of them. You know, because it's beginning to happen in America, it kind of makes some people shake in their boots, so to speak. But it's been happening all over the world for a long time. And the church cannot shrink in fear. Our mission is to reach people, to love them into the kingdom. Do you remember when the um, sniper was killing people in Washington, uh, Virginia, that area, and turned out it was two guys. They were shooting out the trunk of a car that they cut a hole in, and they were killing people at filling stations, just just totally random. I think some 21 people ultimately died before they caught those uh, guys. You know what one of our Christian Missionary Alliance churches in Virginia did? They asked for volunteers from the congregation to go and stand at gas pumps at local filling stations and pump gas for people who were afraid to get out of their car. 
And people from that congregation went and stood at the filling stations and offered to pump gas for people. And they did that day after day, week after week, until the terror was ended. Do you know why they did that? Because they knew their eternal destiny. And they were not afraid of death. Now, I didn't say they weren't afraid to die. Nobody that's a normal person is not not afraid to die. I mean, we, we are afraid of, of the experience, but we are confident of the outcome. And therefore, we have courage in the face of danger. And so they were willing, in the name of Jesus, to love total strangers at a filling station to protect their life. Okay, so we can risk welcoming people into our fellowship. Um, as that congregation did, you know, and, and it was heartrending the outcome of that. There's no guarantee in this country that that won't happen, but it cannot turn us into hermit crabs. We have got to be people that say we, we love people and trust God and rely on the Holy Spirit. You know, and some of our leadership have been through some training, I mean, to learn how to spot people that look a little off, that, you know, that the eyes and the face and the countenance suggest something sinister. But even then, it doesn't mean there's going to be overt action taken. Uh, but awareness of threat and those kind of, I mean, we try to make ourselves educated, but not afraid. Um, we cannot be fearful. Some people uh, talk about, well, I'm shy or I'm introverted. It's hard for me to be hospitable because that's not my nature. You know, uh, being socially awkward, uh, however, you, however you identify that. I mean, we've got all kind of interesting words now to, to identify and label people that uh, are socially awkward. Um, and we're finding all kinds of new categories um, everyone's a little different in their personality. But if you don't know how to approach people and you don't know what conversation or openers are, can I suggest that you try a little role play with someone you know and trust? Come up with a phrase, you know. Come up with a way to greet somebody. You know, like, hi, I don't know you. My name is Paul. Would you tell me yours? Okay, so that may be all you say, and then you just go, <laughs> go home and practice another phrase. <laughs> What's the follow-up? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what? Where was I the other day? It was it was really comical. Um, I I, th I think it was. Uh, we were talking to one of the brothers in the Spanish language service, and someone was trying to learn how to greet in Spanish. You know, it was, hi, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? And then, and then what do you say? Uh, you know, you too. Okay, and then what do you say? How do you go? And, then, and so they started trying it out, you know. Hola, como estas? Bien, gracias, de tú? Uh, bien, gracias. Bien, gracias. Bien, gracias. It's like, when do you stop? <laughs> and Hector, it wasn't Hector Morales, uh, but, but Hector said, 
if you keep that up, you're just going to go in circles. <laughs> you have to stop eventually and move on to something else. Okay. Find a way to, to, to make the connection. Find a way to get across the... And this business about introversion and extroversion, you know, people have a great misunderstanding of that. It doesn't mean that introverts are wallflowers and hate people and extroverts are the life of the party. It, it, not at all. Um, Andy Stanley was at a conference that my brother attended in Florida. And, uh, and Andy Stanley goes into the room and Leonard said... He said, he's just awkward. He's just kind of sitting there. And he says, I've got to tell you people, he said, the greatest fear I have is of talking to people one-on-one. He says, I'm an introvert. I have the hardest time communicating one-on-one. So he said, you're going to have to ask me questions, and I'll do my best to answer them. Andy Stanley, okay? I am an introvert. Give me all the tests. I am an introvert. People don't believe that, but it's, ac- it's actually true. It doesn't mean you don't love people. It doesn't mean you don't build friendships. It, don't, it doesn't mean you don't like to... to I, I love standing back there and greeting people. I want to touch you. I want to shake your hand. I want to look in your face. I want to see how you're doing. I, just, I want to get that impression. You know, as you're here today, I want to know that. I care. I love. I love having conversations. I make friendships that are deep and lasting. That's a part of who I am. But when I'm in a group of people and and the crowd is charged, yeah, I can be a motor mouth. I admit that. I absolutely can. But when it's all said and done, it's like, oh, give me some silence. I got to have solitude. Get me in a room and close the door and let me read. Now I can recover. Whereas an extrovert gets more and more charged. The more people there are, the more charged they get. They're, they're ready to go out and party all night. That's, that's just how they're wired. It has to do with the flow of energy in, in people. I love people. It takes energy out of me. And I have to go back and recover. Extroverts hate being by themselves and they love to be in the crowd because they suck all the energy in and they just get... Pumped up, you know, they get it. Don't let that be an excuse for not being friendly. It's not. Find a way. Find a way. Sometimes you live in an area, and I didn't mean for this to be a statement. I meant for it to be more open-ended. It kind of came out as a statement. Uh, Cultural norms. We live in a region or culture which is either naturally isolated or indifferent to people not known. The, the, The attitude seems to be, it's none of my business. And mine is none of theirs. Different places in the country you live are different. You know, when I was going to school in North Georgia, two-lane highways, driving along 50, 55 miles an hour, you got your hands on the steering wheel, you got to do this to everybody you, you, you pass. It's the finger wave. you got to do it. If you don't, they're going to think you're rude. Now, they may never see you again, but they're going to still think you're rude. Who's that rude person I passed? Must be a Yankee. No, it's, it's because you've got to greet everybody. I'm not kidding. It took me the longest time. I finally said to somebody, why is it everybody I pass does this to me? It's the first finger. It was, it was confusing. And I learned that they're greeting you. They're greeting me. I don't know them. You don't have to know them. It's what we do. 
You just wave to people on the road. It's kind of awkward to take your whole hand off the wheel and go like this, so you just kind of give it the finger. Put that in the right context. (laughs) Take that off the tape. (laughs) You walk down the street. Hi, how are you? Lovely day today. Nice day today. Good to see you today. I've never seen you before in my life. I don't know, have a clue who you are, but it's just that kind of interchange. You try that on Michigan Avenue, they're going to be calling the paramedics. It's different places, have different kind of cultures. I have a suspicion we might be in one of those areas that's a little more like, I don't want you to know in my business, and whatever's going on with you is none of my business. Okay, It's not that people don't care. I, I know the difference. I served with a rescue squad, and I served with an entire squad of unbelievers. They cared deeply about fellow human beings. People care deeply about one another. They just express it differently. And it's, not a, it's maybe not an overt friendliness or an o- overt gregariousness, but it's nonetheless, there's a value of people. It's a different culture. You have to press through that. Because you have to step out of your comfort zone to be a lover of strangers and kind of learn what, you know, what the local customs are. The absolute worst excuse for not welcoming strangers, and this is, this is the absolute worst taboo. We don't welcome strangers because we like it the way it is. We don't really want them here. Now, I don't think anyone has that attitude, but there are places that do, and that's sad. Uh, we like it the way we got it, and we don't want to change much. We need to be careful that we don't communicate that inadvertently. You know, there's all kind of subtle ways that you can make people feel on the outside, even if you think you've done a great job of being friendly. For example... We've been praying this week about the friend of many of us, Jan Piasecki. Jan had an unfortunate incident Tuesday evening. She passed out. No one knows exactly what happened. She hit her ribs on the nightstand, broke two ribs, punctured a lung. She's been in the hospital. And so the prayer request has gone out, pray for Jan Piasecki, you know. And, and uh, many of you don't know, have any idea who Jan Piasecki is. Who's Jan Piasecki? Who's, who's Jan, you know? Well, Jan and Mike used to be a part of our fellowship a number of years ago for a good while. He was on the board. Jan helped start a, a women's ministry group called Hearts. Very involved in our church. Very devoted prayer warrior. Uh, very committed couple. Valuable to this church family. We're here for a number of years. And then Mike got transferred around here and there and the other. And so they moved about. But... They have remained close friends and, cl- and valued friends. And so we talk about Jan. And we pray for Jan. Well, if someone brand new is, or, uh, you're having a conversation and you're friendly and you welcome them in, then you start talking about Jan, guess what? They feel left out. They don't know who in the world Jan is. Being hospitable means you have to stop and say, by the way, I'm sure you don't know who we're talking about. Let me tell you a little bit about this person. That says, I want you to be a part of us, so I need to give you the information that you need to have so you feel like you belong. 
being friendly goes beyond, hi, how are you? It pulls a person into the circle. It says, I want you to have the knowledge base to be comfortable. I want to tell you about us so that you know who we are. And by the way, I want to know about you. What's going on in your life? Father, teach us to be lovers of strangers. Not selfishly, not with an agenda, just out of a big heart that you have given that we love and care about people. And we want them to feel at home wherever they are. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.